Hello everyone, my name is Illumide. And my name is Christy. And welcome to the Big Empty Purse podcast. They work so well together, the imposter syndrome and the perfectionism. (laughs) Name a more iconic duo. (laughs) (laughs) Name a more iconic duo. So, Christy, what have you been up to since the last episode? Well, I just got off running a Pride Month trivia game for my coworkers. <laughs> what is up with Pride and trivia? Oh my god, all I could think of was you and your bingo game. <laughs> yeah. Well, your bingo game. You didn't go to it, but... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like the head of a bunch of diversity stuff at my work. It was actually really fun. Oh, really? The government has changed a lot in the last few months. I would not have been doing that last June. And I think we're all happier for it, I would like to think. Yeah, the Secretary of Energy did like a Instagram video. She put up the pride flag outside like the DOE headquarters. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Shout out to her. Secretary Jennifer Granholm. I love that. I love that for all of us. And I didn't do a whole lot else except that I finished The Expanse, the first novel audiobook. Is this the show that you and Richard were talking about a whole bunch of episodes back? It is. I think you cut that part out, but... (laughs) (laughs) I stay cutting shit out of the podcast that I go back and refer to. (laughs) But yes, the answer is yes. It's a series of novels and also a show on Amazon. Well, it was originally Uh a show on sci-fi, got canceled, got picked up by Amazon. But it's a great, great series. I've watched all of the show and I just started listening to the books. So the Expanse series is a it's a sci-fi novel series so it takes place far enough in the future that humans have colonized Mars and the asteroid belt and can sort of travel through the solar system but not like way beyond our solar system but it's fun it's like a it's a good good solid like sci-fi series the technology is interesting the attention to mm-hmm. detail is really cool like how people's bodies and different things behave in different types of gravity. Wow. They hired a real scientist to really put them through the... They really must have, yeah, unless one of them has that range. Like, I say that it's like says it's written by one person. It's actually a like set of two authors who write under the one name. I don't know why. But yeah, it's actually really good. There's good like political subplots. There's like some mystery with alien technology. I mean, it's not like it's completely reinventing the genre or anything but it's a very i really enjoy sci-fi and the show is really good and the books are also really good the show is one of those that's very true to the books almost verbatim in some of them which i'm not complaining about it's great but it cracks me up because the main character uh is named james holden and they use this great trope to you know like books and movies have different tropes of like fitting in ways to explain things to the audience that don't seem unnatural like if the author or the like movie maker wants to explain something but you know in normal dialogue you wouldn't just sit here and like I wouldn't be talking to you about something and just like over explain something it doesn't sound natural so they like find ways to make it sound natural and make sense for them to be explaining things and the trope they use for this is that the main character is sort of dumb like he's not he's like not the brightest so it it like takes him a while to put stuff together sometimes 
It's great. And it's like, it's so intentional. It's hilarious because he is the main character and he has a lot of redeeming features, but he'll just, he'll just say just dumb things. And all the other characters are like, what? (laughs) I forget. Like there was a something in the first season of the show and like something got blown up and they were like, how did they know to blow this ship up? How did they know it would be there? <laughs> like, what a co- like he thought it was a coincidence. He was, everyone was like, it's not a coincidence. Like they plan, they plan, they plan that. <laughs> like, he was like, just like dawns on him. He's like, oh, oh. What's not clicking? Yeah. What's not clicking? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's yeah. funny because the characters actually have some depth like that. Like he does have other really good features that sort of help the characters characters out in different situations because he's the captain of the ship but they do a good job of actually like filling out the characters and they do so the book does a very good job the show also does a good job mostly Mm -hmm. because (laughs) the show is pretty verbatim from the book so it's like a well-written show it's good but it's also like a sci-fi there's a lot of like you know there's space battles there's alien technology there's this and this and that to like it's exciting aside from just the story but i'm excited to get further in the books because the most recent season of the show was very heavy on like sort of subtle emotional plot lines and it started to show that the actors on this show were actors originally hired by the sci-fi channel (laughs) (laughs) yeah they've been carried not totally carried these are not like trash actors but they've been sort of carried by the good writing and the production value and the like exciting action stuff but right it all of a sudden they were supposed to like be showing these like complex emotional they weren't quite up to the task they don't have the range <laughs> they didn't they did they don't have the range <laughs> they don't Bless him. But I would still highly recommend the Amazon show and the novels. The audiobook narrator is great. So I'm really enjoying it. You know, I actually, I have, I have never signed up for Amazon Prime. And honestly, I should. I know that like in terms of the cost benefit analysis, it makes sense for me to just get it. But I have been fighting this since undergrad and I'm still on this. I'm dying on this hill. That's it. That is it. Even HBO Max, I promised myself I wasn't going to get it. And then my sister ended up getting it. And now that my sister is moving and she might have to change cable providers, she's like, you better watch all the HBO you want to watch because the moment I move is gone. (laughs) Which, great segue into what have I been up to this week because you already know I'm going through it. It's like clockwork. Every every two or three (laughs) weeks I get put through the ringer. I'm going through it. And I didn't do shit. I did not do shit. But it's been really rainy around here. It's been like all sorts of gloomy and moody, which I usually like, but I'm not loving it because I am ready for the panoramic to be over. I want to be outside. But anyway, the rain is ruining that for now. And I'm just going to take that as it is. But what I did do is to treat myself, I went to get a fragrance I've been looking forward to getting for a really long time. And I actually really like it. I really love it. It's the Valentino Womo Born in Roma Yellow mm. Dream. I think it smells like fresh and clean slash cotton candy, and I love it. I love it. I've been spraying it everywhere since I got it. The bottle is probably going to be gone by the end of the week. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'm happy about that. The other thing that I did was, because I'm like scraping the bottom of HBO Max before it goes away forever, <laughs> I decided to finally watch the Stanley Kubrick movie. I've been putting this off because I, I was worried that I wouldn't like it. And I was right to worry because I finally saw it. The movie is called Eyes Wide Shut, and it's by the legendary, legendary director Stanley Kubrick. Now, it don't make no sense. 
It don't make no sense. And I know somebody's going to get on this and be like, well, you just don't get it. You're not smart enough to get it. No, I get it. It still don't make sense. It don't make no kind of goddamn sense. And here's the thing. It's pretty much um, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, which, by the way, I think Tom Cruise is maybe a C plus, B minus actor. I wouldn't say he has. Honestly, you've seen the movies yeah. he makes. He's he's yeah. good at what he does in terms of like the action. But in terms of being able to seamlessly emote, he's a good actor in the sense that he is a trained actor. And you can see him using very specific techniques as he's acting. It doesn't look like he's reacting in real time it looks like he's using a very specific technique yeah. so it, it looks very forced it looks i don't know how to say it anyway yeah. so it's him and nicole kidman and it's very obvious that nicole kidman is a much better actor than he is but let's put that to the side the movie is this weird movie where it's like there's a whole bunch of nudity they had to censor it when it was released in the u.s way back in 1999 but i suppose they've gone back and remastered it so anyway the movie itself is about like how people married couple navigates their married life as it relates to their sexual attraction to other people and how they discuss it with each other and how they pursue it and it follows like this weird cultist type thing where he gets thrown inside it's weird it's i don't even know how to explain it to you it's weird and the very end has this stupid line you know what we have to do now is fuck and I was like, okay, Stanley Kubrick was, fun Fun fact, okay. Stanley Kubrick himself died before this movie because he was making this movie and he had done like his own final cut and then he died before it was released. So this is technically the very last credit to Stanley Kubrick's directing career. What a movie to go out on. <laughs> and I did go to read up, to, like, after I watched it, I was like, this doesn't make any kind of sense. And I went to read all the synopses and all the analysis about, it's still, it's still, people in the analysis section were, like, reaching. They didn't stretch before that reach. <laughs> So on today's episode, we will be discussing insecurities. Yay, another trauma unpacking episode. I know this is why you guys came here. We give it to you good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have so much content. It just. <laughs> so technically, psychologists call it emotional insecurity but that's way too many syllables so we're just going to call it insecurity this is what i found interesting when i went doing the research for this episode i actually looked up the abraham manslow definition of emotional insecurity and when i tell you i was shook i felt personally attacked because i'm going to read this definition in a second but this definition is exactly me let me just out myself on this podcast <laughs> Okay, so here's the definition. A person who perceives the world as a threatening jungle and most human beings as dangerous and selfish feels like a rejected and isolated person, anxious and hostile, is generally pessimistic and unhappy, shows signs of tension and conflict, tends to turn inward, is troubled by guilt feelings, has one or another disturbance of self-esteem, and tends to be neurotic and is generally selfish and egocentric. I was like, well, damn. Just call my name. Just go ahead and say my goddamn name because you don't have to use so many words. <laughs> Just put my name and a photo of me next to the definition. What the fuck? <laughs> it really was on it. And I was like, okay, well, Honestly. fuck you too, Abraham yeah. Manslow. Oh my God. Yeah, the more you read of that, I was like, oh no. Oh no. Oh <laughs> we should laugh this hard at this. Stop it. 
But yeah, I read this. I read this before we started, and I, I had thought of this tweet that I saw. It said, "Very soon, therapists <laughs> will stop showing ink blots, but instead they will show you memes and ask how attacked do you feel, or it do or it don't be like that sometimes." And also, what's great is like with the memes and stuff, you yeah. can see we're all in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. But typically. Um, insecurity is a feeling of inadequacy or uncertainty, and it's based in usually one of three things, either failure or rejection or lack of confidence and social anxiety or perfectionism. If you're lucky, like me, you got all three of them. So shout out to you. Yeah. But <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> what do you get? You get trauma. <laughs> Pretty much like this whole thing is a tr- like. Millennials know what this is. We are not disillusioned. We know what this is. And this is essentially the premise and the context of a lot of shows, especially the Issa Rae show called <laughs> Insecure. Um, yeah, that show is essentially about managing insecurities in adulthood. That's what that show is. And it's hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I've heard it's good. Yeah, I, I actually, I've only seen like two episodes. Fun fact, let's bring this back. Remember the guy who told me that he can't stand my personality? <laughs> yeah. This is the show that we watched while he was telling me that he didn't like my personality. And I was like, wow, the universe re- <laughs> the universe is diabolical. The, the universe is like, you're insecure? Let me make him show you a show about insecurities that you relate to 100%. And then have him talk about your insecurities to you while telling you he doesn't like your insecurities. Life is so like that. Like if you were watching a show or like reading a book and they were like, oh, that's a little on the nose that they were playing the show insecure and like making him feel insecure. But like the universe was like, nope, (laughs) this is real life. (laughs) There has to be a higher power that's trolling me. All in all, insecurities, they manifest differently in men versus women. Sometimes it's the same, but a little bit different. One way that's really sort of comes right to mind thinking about insecurities in men versus women. I mean, everyone is body shamed like constantly. Right. Every like you walk out into the world and you are body shamed. But man, <laughs> women women get some wild body shaming shit. I think of that scene in Mean Girls where she goes back, Katie goes back to Regina's house and they're all looking at themselves in the mirror and they're like, my pores are huge. My toenails are so big. Like they're saying, (laughs) and her inner monologue is like, I thought there was just fat and skinny, but there's so much that can be wrong with your body. (laughs) (laughs) And on a, like before you continue on a side note to that, in the queer community, especially the gays. Ooh. Yeah. The body shaming in the gay community. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, and insecurity, like obviously it's a mental thing, but it ends up manifesting in very like sometimes very serious physical ways. Like people will completely kill themselves at the gym trying to look a certain way. Like people end up with eating disorders, which people like to, I mean, including myself, like tend to sort of minimize, but people end up in the hospital all the time with eating disorders. Like eating disorders are really serious. And they actually escalate. They actually exacerbate other health issues. Fun fact, I only Mm. know this because I'm a huge Emmy Winehouse fan. 
Amy Winehouse used to be bulimic, and her bulimia actually exacerbated her weak heart. And then on top of that, then she was a drug user. That just yeah. the combination of because any other person who drunk as much as Amy did or was just otherwise reckless with their libations would not have died. Amy Winehouse had bulimia on top, which weakened her heart, and that just took her out. So yeah, no, these things have very real consequences to one's physical being. <laughs> Yeah, the point being insecurity taken to the extreme can literally kill you. Kill you. <laughs> yes, your insecurity can kill you. But I think for men mostly, the insecurity just, not to bring you back to an old episode on trauma that we did, but to kind of bring you back, a lot of the insecurities that men face are heavily embedded in the toxic masculinity. All of us are subject, anybody who identifies as a man is definitely subjected to it in terms of how, how tall are you? Girls would be like, I don't want a man who's shorter than six foot. So guess what? By the way, for those of you listening to this podcast, I'm five foot seven. If I haven't said that before, I'm short. I am very short. Like growing up, you're just like, wow, why am I the shortest one? And why do I get picked on for being like the tiniest person in the room? But also the financial aspect of being a man simply because society as per the last God knows how many centuries before women were finally allowed to have their own income and do their own thing. Men were supposed to be the earners. Mm -hmm. So if you were a man who did not earn as much as you wanted to, to satisfy the woman that you wanted, you felt inadequate. And that insecurity just drove you crazy. In fact, I, I used to hear stories of people who would lose their jobs, but would be too insecure to go home to their wives and tell them and then just carry on like they still have an income. Meanwhile, their debts are racking up and it's pretty clear that. Yeah. So stuff like that, I think for men, it's usually like there's some physical aspect to it, but the other aspect of it is heavily embedded in toxic masculinity. I always feel for men. I, I really do feel for them. Like one thing that men tend to get very insecure about is like sexual performance. Yes. And the more insecure you feel about it, your body physically it just cycles it's <laughs> a cycle it's like, a circular problem it. yeah yeah i feel so bad. this what you just described like for gays it's even take that and turn it up a factor of 200 because sure. the problem is and this i'm sure happens to women too but if you cannot perform sexually right then not not only are you insecure about it the person you cannot perform for is probably irritated mm -hmm. with you about wasting their time mm -hmm. simply because the preparation for sex as a gay man might be slightly more intensive and when i say slightly more intensive <laughs> it takes a long time and a lot of arduous pain and effort to prepare so yeah. that then it it makes it even worse and then like what do you do you and that person can get so frustrated with you that they never want to see you again that hurts your self-esteem because that then turns into rejection it, there's just yeah it's mm -hmm. but i think the best way to approach this is to if it's not working cut your loss early it's be like mm -hmm say it very upfront i can't perform right now i'm sorry i if you know why tell them why say for instance you've drunk too much and you're just not in the mood you apologize for wasting their time and you either change the course of what you're going to do that evening or you go back to your home stuff like that mm -hmm. but for you to then continue to try and then fail at it and then have that person resent you for wasting their time even further don't do that don't do that but yeah no i see yeah that sexual performance thing with men oh my god it's terrible also 
Another interesting nuance about that is if the reason you cannot sexually perform is that you're not attracted to the person in real time, which has happened. Look, let me out myself right now. I'm going to put myself <laughs> on the spot. Let me, since Abraham Maslow has already like destroyed my life on this episode, let me just go ahead and finish myself. <laughs> Maybe this will pass as I age, but like I have a very distinct sense of smell. So if somebody shows up and it could be it could be that the person just walked in the rain and you know or maybe they went for a run or whatever or it could be something so small if there is a scent that i do not like that ruins the whole thing for me i can't mm -hmm. even fake it there is absolutely so or if you're wearing like some really terribly constructed fragrance like rank <laughs> jacar noir <laughs> Dracar Noir, if you're wearing Dracar Noir. And you could be perfectly, you know, the proportions are right, everything is great, clean. If I can smell that Dracar Noir, my brain automatically just shuts everything off. Like, I can't get past that. It just, it, it's like somebody's like smacking me in the back of the head with a baseball bat. I cannot, there's no way I can perform. So, in that scenario, I have to be rude and say, your fragrance is off putting. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier for me to say that yeah. than for me to try, fail, waste your time. I just have to be honest. And I, it actually happens the other way too because I like a lot of fragrances. If that happens to be a problem for someone else, I would prefer them to just tell me. I'm like, yeah. ah, work. Yeah. But yeah, no. But most of the time, it's not fragrance that's the problem. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. And yes. I'm going, let me just, public service announcement. I, I don't mean to put anybody on the spot. But if you brush your teeth, you're not only supposed to brush your teeth, you're supposed to wash your tongue as well, all the way to the back. And most people don't know that. I don't know if they just, their parents never told them, but they've gone their whole lives not washing their tongues. And what ends up happening is your teeth can be clean, but the residual bad breath in the back of your tongue, which if somebody's standing six feet from you, they won't catch that. If you're having sexual intercourse with someone and they're right in your face, they can catch that and that's a problem also while we're on the topic of hygiene let me just go ahead and completely just put everybody <laughs> on blast if you wear a deodorant and you have a very bushy underarm what ends up happening is the deodorant doesn't actually touch your skin it gets trapped in the bushy hair of the underarm so the deodorant actually doesn't work because yeah. it's trapped in the hair there's just a caked bunch and they just don't know to wash that anyway it doesn't matter you should groom your underarms so that the deodorant actually works that also is very off-putting also while we're on the topic you need to wash the back of your ears because the back of your ears also can smell the back of your um knees also the inside of your elbows these places that you just don't think about you need to start thinking about them because during sex, these smells will just annoy your partner. Anyway, now that I've said all that and I'm probably going to get canceled, let's move on quickly. <laughs> you shouldn't get canceled. People need to, people need to know they, that. People, like, oh my I don't God. Know, I don't understand why people don't know stuff like that. Yeah. Like, as a kid, that's this is exactly the stuff your parent would tell you. If you show up and the yeah. back of your neck is burned, your mom would be like, you didn't wash your neck. Go back. <laughs> Honestly, there's, yeah. the only people who can tell you that way is probably your parents because they don't care. They'll say that to you or they'll be like, if they smell your breath and like your breath is kicking, go fix that. They'll tell you. Or if like if you're growing up and you just don't know how to put your deodorant on and it just keeps, they'll tell you. But some parents, yeah. I suppose, either they themselves don't know. But I think the older you get, you learn as you go. 
even if your parents don't tell you some things just you start to figure out over like if you grow up with acne and you some things you just learn as you go but some people just don't learn so that's a problem you were even on a level more advanced than some straight men that i've encountered some straight like like oh maybe it's not completely like in your mind that the back of your knees might smell but uh your crotch sure as hell (laughs) needs to be washed that can smell (laughs) yes yes uh, apparently you didn't get that memo don't just wash the front of your crutch. The part inside of your thighs can also... Yes. I don't know. This should just be a public fucking service announcement on personal hygiene. Because also, there's this sound effect that's going around TikTok that I love. And it's like, there's the guy, the guy who doesn't spread his ass cheeks to let the water in when he's taking a shower. Have you heard of this? It's all over TikTok and I love it. Because, yeah, straight guys, I don't know for whatever reason, think it's not straight for them to wash their behind. Let me explain something to you. You need to wash your behind. Don't just let water trickle in there. You need to get some soap and some sponge and go in between under. Although you need to wash your behind. This is at least once a day i would prefer more than twice a day but once a day at least once a day just help us out here insecurities change as we age and that depends on whatever standard is used to measure adequacy so i suppose as children that standard changes as adults it changes it all depends Mm -hmm. okay what insecurities did we have as children i know one that was like because some of these it's like a lot more insecurities I think naturally emerge as you become like transition from being a kid to a teenager. Right. Uh, But even as a kid, kid, I was painfully shy. Like when I say painfully, like it was physically difficult for me to talk to people. I didn't know, like my mom used to try and like force me to do, to like do like very basic social things. Like she'd be like, you know, run in that restaurant and ask them what their hours are. And it was like, I I can't. Oh my god, that was... <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could not. Okay, I'm glad that wasn't just me. Like, people were so confused. They were like, this is such a simple, like, just talk to right. people. <laughs> but I can't. I, I, I would get so insecure in my head about, like, what will they think of me? What can I say? What if I can't think of something fast enough? Like, just so hyper aware of yes. myself that... I just couldn't. I was so shy. That was me. And even people who were, quote unquote, my peers, if they didn't start the conversation with me, I wouldn't be the person to initiate the conversation because I was just, and even when they initiated, Mm -hmm. even walk, say, say if, if I was sent on an errand, like, oh, go to the corner store and grab some soft drinks or something. Walking down the street, I'd get so self-conscious. Oh my God, what are my arms doing? What are people thinking about how my arms are swinging? Are are, are my hips swaying too much? Um, Is my head bobbing too quickly? And like, all of these things would just, and then you'd finally get there. And then when it's time to say the thing that you were actually supposed to go there for, you get stuck and like, oh, wait, shit, uh, what did I come in? And then, you, and then you have to talk to the person and then you're like, uh, and the person's like, what do you want? And you're like, don't scream at me. I'm still thinking about it. Right. The whole thing, it's a much bigger deal than it really should be because you should be able to just like function. Just go ahead and say what you need and they'll get it to you. But yeah, no, that, that insecurity is, woof. That painfully shy thing, I get it. Ooh, big time when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Unpacking the drama. (laughs) I was also really insecure about how thin I was. 
which I think we talked a couple episodes back. This was in like the like 90s, early 2000s when that was honestly like pretty popular was to be like very stick thin and your hip bones showing and yada yada, which is how I looked, but I hated how I looked. I And it wasn't like I didn't eat or anything, which like everyone sort of assumed and would make jokes about. And but like I, I was properly too skinny, like I was underweight. It's a terrible thing as a kid because how, what what are you going to do to fix it? What are you going to... You can't fix it. Like, eat more? Right. Yeah, no. Gee. Um, yeah, I had a very similar thing. In general, I was very insecure about my appearance as a kid. Extremely mm-hmm. insecure because my head is very big. It's also shaped like an upside down triangle. Mm-hmm. Some people have like a very smooth round head. That's not me. My head is shaped like an upside down triangle. It's, it's very prominent. I have very prominent corners of my head. And the kids my age... Even the teachers in my school used to make fun of me for it. They say I have horns because I have an upside down triangle head. It's first of all, I thought those jokes were funny, but like they were also just exacerbated because the jokes were so creative. But like I was still yeah. very insecure about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I was also very short. I hated being short. I was always it didn't matter where I went. I was the shortest person every place. I was also very skinny. And what made it worse is my head was so big, but my body was so skinny. <laughs> 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 and there's this disease called Kwashiorkor. It's oh. pretty much like if you're malnourished, I'm sure you know what the disease is. And people used to make fun of me saying I had that. And I was like, okay, oh y'all need to chill the fuck out. But like, I, I was extremely skinny. And like in terms of I, I can click off all the things in my physical appearance I did not like as a kid. I, my two front teeth were also very big compared to all the other teeth in my mouth as a kid. So like, I also used to be called a fucking rabbit. So everything was just, physically speaking, my body was not working for me. And also I was hairy as a kid. So the whole thing was just, I was like, y'all need to leave me the fuck alone because no. Oh, at least some of the jokes for you were creative. Like I definitely had people make jokes, but it was like the same joke. Like I was insecure about how small my boobs were. And the only joke about that seems to be like itty bitty titty committee. And once you've heard that once, there's no fun in that. Yeah. God, at least be creative if, you, if you're going to roast somebody based on their appearance. Make it good. The other thing I was really insecure, like in terms of like not only just physical appearance, I was not proud of my living situation as a kid. As in my whole childhood, there have been times where, you know, it, it appeared that we were financially comfortable and other times that it appeared as though we weren't because we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't appear. We, we really yeah. were. We were poor. Right. But like my parents always put an emphasis on getting the best education. It did not matter what their financial situation looked like. They were mm-hmm. always going to put you through the best education that they could possibly get. Anyway, they they would rather starve and pay for your school fees. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what ended up happening was I always went to quote unquote good schools that were highfalutin. And the kids that I went to school with were very highfalutin. And to compound that problem, I also didn't live with my parents for a lot of the time. So, like, you know how you go to the... I went to boarding school, even as a six-year-old, like, the whole time as a child, I was in boarding school. But when everybody would go home for, like, summer breaks and stuff like that, they would all go see each other at home. They'd all hang out, and they'd invite each other to each other's homes. But I always felt like... I wish I could invite or I could be invited to your homes, but I know if I did get invited, I wouldn't know how to act because I'm extremely shy. Mm-hmm. And two, I couldn't invite yeah. you over to my where I stayed because it was my parents' house and even I didn't feel welcome there, let alone me then inviting you to come over. 
So I was really insecure about that. I would never like volunteer to post anything at wherever I stayed. If people asked to come over, I know one time one kid asked to come over and I was like, oh, okay, let me ask. And then like they were like, because he lived literally down the street. And I was like, okay, that's not too bad. So they did say yes. And he came over. And I remember thinking, and I then I lived with my aunt who had this, what I would say, unnecessarily ostentatious house. The house was unnecessarily ostentatious, right? And the kid came over and I remember thinking that he felt, he, he seemed very impressed and elated as to like where I lived. And I, I was like, I, I didn't even know how to react to that because I was like, I actually, this isn't my parents' house. I technically don't. I'm just here for the two months that I, you know, that kind of thing. And I I didn't know how to handle that as a kid. So I would just, as a rule, just make sure that I never invited anybody over and I would never accept anybody's invite to go because I knew I couldn't reciprocate and I, I wouldn't know how to act. So yeah, yeah, that was like a huge source of insecurity as a kid. I was like, wow. See, now that being an insecurity that I know about me being the way I am today, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, I control my environment to the T. I make sure that, like, I, I know exactly what my space looks like, what I want it to be, how, how it is my space. I'm not sharing with anybody else, and I'm not, none of that. It's my space. Yeah, so that's why I'm the way I am today, so. That's so interesting, because I ended up with that same insecurity, but not until much later in my life. Really? Because... I, I mean, I grew up in an area, like, we were pretty poor. We weren't, like, poor, poor, but we were pretty poor. But so was everyone in that area. Like, so were, like, <laughs> the, the people who babysat me. So were, like, my friends, my sister's friends. Like, you you went over to other people's houses and, like, other people's houses looked like our house. Uh, right. And then I went to college and, like, met, met people who weren't poor. <laughs> right. <laughs> And didn't even realize, like, all of these things about myself and my living situation that I was like, oh, no, I am, like, it's a dead giveaway. Like, oh, I that got, I'm... like, I was... So... I'm poor. <laughs> and I, yeah. And, like, that was, that was an interesting one, like, developing a new a new insecurity about something that I hadn't hadn't been insecure about as a kid. Right. Yeah. It's being poor in, in itself is an insecurity. <laughs> is an insecurity. Really yeah. Was. Because yeah. In college, I, I think at that point I had already been able to like not unpack the full thing, but I kind of knew. So when I went to college, I was like, yeah, I know I'm the poorest person here. Yeah. I don't even have to like try. Like I know I'm the poorest person yeah. here. There's no, there's no reason for me to pretend. And I, I was already yeah. I, at that point, I didn't feel the need to pretend like I wasn't anymore. It was just like, like okay this is what it is i'm glad that your parents can afford you a bmw and i'm glad your monthly stipend is forty thousand us dollars my parents can't give me that i actually have to right. do three work study jobs to even cover my unsubsidized loans for next semester so yep. this is what it is you and i were not which yep. the other thing that also really used to upset me then i guess this is another insecurity from college days is there was this girl who was in our program she was from South Korea and her parents were rich. <laughs> Not to say that. <laughs> they were rich. And I remember she one day got upset with me about something. I don't even know. I think I took too long to get someplace because I was just late and I was struggling as I always am. Mm-hmm. And what she said to me was, this is why um, you can't do well in school because you never have good time management and yada, yada, yada and all this kind of stuff. And I was like... First of all, don't make me bite your head off, bitch, because I am not the one. 
Yeah. Because again, th- and th- that kind of hit on one of my insecurities. I was like, no, first of all, you raggedy bitch. You literally, all you have to do is go to class. You yeah. can afford to spend 500 hours to get an A in this class. I have three work study jobs and I first of all never had tutoring in high school to get all these 3d calculus whatever i'm literally seeing it for the first time and i'm being thrown into the wolf's den with with you lot i'm struggling to hold my own yes you're right i'm not doing as well academically as all of you are getting a's i'm getting some c's yeah i get it i get it but i also don't have the resources to be on your level so don't you ever dare compare yourself to me meet me in the real world when we have to struggle one for one then you can talk shit then and see how well you do you know but she yep. said that i i was like you are a bitch for saying that that is unruly and uncalled for but yeah mm-hmm. no i think uh, we all have those insecurities no matter being poor is an insecurity but anyway fuck that girl by the way that yep. raggedy bitch fuck her <laughs> fuck her and she always pretended to be so nice she did. I was like, I, I, I hope your life catches fire. Honestly, you deserve that. <laughs> like, I again, I say really mean things just on account of I'm like, okay, what I said is not a lie. I'm sorry if it sounded, which again, yeah. it, I'm trying to do better these days. But like her, she was like, a t- she would pretend to be nice. And then moving on. Other thing is like children, teenagers that I was very insecure about was my sexuality and like being in denial about what it was. <laughs> <laughs> that it was not straight. <laughs> this one will get you together, though. It really will. I mean, now I see memes about this all the time, about, like, looking back in my life and realizing all the times where, like, my gayness was manifesting and I didn't, <laughs> didn't even connect at the time. Like, I had this friend in high school who, like, looking back, like, clearly had a crush on me and I think on some subconscious level I think I did too but because anytime I like saw myself getting close to her or thinking in that way it came out as like being mean to her and pushing her away yeah none of this I realized in the moment but looking back I was like I was that made me feel like threatened and insecure feeling that about a girl and so right and oh that God. was a that was an insecurity i didn't even realize i had because i was like so in denial about it i was like <laughs> no i've <laughs> i've had crushes on boys like this is not this is not up for debate like <laughs> right oh but the sexuality thing i i never felt that in that way which is why i'm, I'm interested to know how that panned out but we'll talk about it another time I wasn't ever insecure about my attraction to other men. I was more so terrified about what it meant in terms of religion because I I was raised extremely religious and also how it related to other people perceiving me, right? So once I was able to be like, well, this religion thing ain't working for me really. It's just making me miserable. So let's just hold that off to the side for now till we can unpack that fully. And then when I realized, and then what was left was how other people would do. Say for you don't want to be, you don't want to be the the gay kid in a boarding house because everybody's going to rip on you. Like they are roasting you daily for it. And every, like the jokes at that point are not even original. They'll call you a fag. And I'm like, congratulations, you have eyes in your head. Like, (laughs) what do you want? Here's a cookie. But I never, but it did, I was the person that that happened to, right? So if another guy that we were into each other, they'd be nice when nobody else was around. 
but if they realized that other people were watching, they didn't want to seem affectionate. So they'd overcorrect in the other way and be extremely mean because that way, if they're mean to you, I suppose they think that nobody else will suspect that they're affectionate towards you. Yeah. yeah, I was that I was a recipient of that, but I never understood why people did that. But I think now I have a little more understanding. It doesn't matter now. I wouldn't put up with that shit now, which is why right now in this day and age, if somebody tells me they're a DL or down low or any of that closeted bullshit, I'm like, I'm not going to rush you on your journey, but get the fuck out of my sight. I've yeah. dealt with that <laughs> enough. We are not putting that like, no, when you come unpack that shit already like we're not doing that anymore yeah i had a moment just like reflecting on on this point for this episode because it's pride month and i'm one of the heads of the diversity group at our work and i literally gave a presentation at our like all hands staff meeting about like pride month and some like (laughs) common vocabulary and i was in front of the whole office with like a pride virtual background telling everyone in my office that I'm pansexual and explaining the difference between pansexual and bisexual (laughs) to my office. I was Uh. like, and then I was like writing about how insecure I was. I was like, I love this journey for me. Like, I love, (laughs) this is is great. (laughs) It's a full circle. We're here now. We are here now. I love it. I love it. Yes. Like many, many things from my childhood have lingered. And this one did for a long time. Like it, it right. took a lot of it took a long time and a lot of work to get to this point. But but like some of the things from childhood I, I have managed to work through and, and I'm like really actually am proud of it now and like actually do enjoy talking about it. You know the other thing I should say, and I think I've said this before, because it's such a huge portion of the trauma that you deal with as a queer person growing up, mm-hmm. most people make the very dangerous mistake of making that their personality when they then mm, grow up. And I'm like, true. I don't like that. Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, there are also insecurities that we have as adults. So what insecurities do we have as adults? <laughs> Boy, how long is this Where do podcast? we start? <laughs> <laughs> the classic body insecurity. When I was a kid, I was insecure about being too skinny, and now I'm insecure about being too fat, so... <laughs> The pendulum swings. <laughs> you, you can't fucking win. You, you, literally, you can't. You, you cannot. literally cannot there's win. no way. And then there's things that never changed. Like, I was insecure about having acne as a teenager, but sort of everyone did. And they were like, don't worry, it'll go away when you're not a teenager. They lied. They lied. <laughs> they lied. Adult <laughs> acne is a thing, and it's a bitch. Ugh. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't laugh. I'm so sorry. You you have to. You have to. (laughs) But then there's other things like I used to be very insecure about having small boobs, but now I I'm like totally fine with them. I like feel like that's a sexy feature about me, which I didn't used to feel. And I also am like, I don't have the back pain you have. Like, I don't have to wear a bra with this outfit. Like, I'm I, I'm living for that feature of myself. Not for plenty of other features about my body, but... <laughs> you have... Look, you, what did Bob the Drag Queen say? 
you have to find something to be happy about. If there is that one mm-hmm. tooth in your mouth that you like, I'm like, that's a the nice tooth. tooth. I like that tooth. You have to start somewhere. If it's a, you start there. Shout out to Bob the drag queen. But body insecurity, I could just, you know, I could, I could go down the list. <laughs> right. There's everybody has body insecurity. There's mm-hmm. even the people that we probably think look extremely attractive. They're picking themselves apart too, which makes mm-hmm. me feel better because I'm like, okay, yeah. If, if they feel insecure, the rest of us don't stand a goddamn chance so let's all just chill out <laughs> let's yeah. all chill no honestly like just like being open and talking about insecurity feels really weird because it feels like the last thing you want to talk about it, not anymore now it's like uh, you know what else would i joke about but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much material here let's just go here <laughs> but but actually like opening up about this kind of stuff and like realizing this is not just you this is super normal is a big like healthy way to cope with some of this stuff oh something that changed brand new insecurity as an adult was this imposter syndrome especially like in work in school so when i was a kid I i swear like i feel the other millennials like nodding their head like i was a a gifted child was an advanced child i was pulled out of the class to do the special advanced things because i was so special and smart and then i got into the real world let me tell you something (laughs) that illusion first of all imposter syndrome i can tell you the exact moment in my life that i got it it was when i switched high schools Mm. in the u.s because there was a course that i had like an 80 something in and i moved in between in the middle of the semester so I didn't have the rest of the semester to get enough points to reach the A. And they just had to give me the grade that they had on the books when the, when last I was there. And I was like, motherfucker, I have one B on my transcript. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I moved and the kids in this new school, they'd been taking APs their whole lives. Their whole lives. AP basket weaving, AP shoe shining, <laughs> AP <laughs> scarf tying. AP, honestly... Any of the useless APs that they could take, they they were taking all these APs and their GPA was so much higher than mine. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't realize that that's how they got such a high GPA at first. And then I felt like, wow, all that work that I did, I can't even compete with kids on the other side of the country. I must be really dumb. Right. That's where it started. And then I went to college where it really exacerbated things because every single person in that college was the gifted one wherever they came from. Mm -hmm. And they were measuring all of us by a very specific criteria that only the people who were gifted that had extra help to get those specific skills for the criteria leveled up. Mm -hmm. So say for instance, I excelled in first year biological sciences because I had all the skill set coming from high school to do well there. Where I did not have the skill set to do well was freaking calculus. Yeah. Then I bombed that. Exactly. So then in calculus, I'm feeling very inadequate. Like, wow, I know nothing here. I'm just bombing this. Why am I bombing this? So that, that, but that imposter syndrome, I think, has carried through my adult life, my entire, even till today, I feel it. But I don't know if it's yep. imposter syndrome or if I'm just trash. I guess I'll never know. <laughs> I'll keep going and hope for the best, I guess. I could also just be trash. Who knows? It's not a syndrome. You are an imposter. <laughs> <You> are- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though, like, I know the term, 
I know I'm not. Like it doesn't it doesn't even matter. Like I have a I have a PhD. Like like you can call me doctor whatever. I'm still like <laughs> I'm trash. I'm I'm dumb. Like I don't I, don't, I can right. like succeed in as it does not matter how much success I have. No. Like right. I could just I could like list them off, but it doesn't matter. Like something bad happens and it's it's in my head. It's like replaying. It's <laughs> that's all there is. <laughs> I mess up one thing. <laughs> yep. It's like it's a spiral. I was saying this to one of our mutual friends, like, you know, it feels like there's certain criteria that I specifically fail at that I don't do well in, like in terms of academics and stuff like that. They work so well together, the imposter syndrome and the perfectionism. <laughs> <laughs> they just amplify each other. <laughs> name a more iconic duo. <laughs> <laughs> name, name a more iconic duo. <laughs> I can't do anything. I can't, like, give anyone any product or, like, talk to anyone or do anything unless it's perfect. But it's not going right. to be perfect because I'm, I'm an imposter and I'm not good enough. So there's no way to make it perfect. But also, I can't do anything if it's not perfect. So I'm trying to make it perfect. But also, it just... <laughs> you just keep rolling yourself in a ball circle. You just... Yeah. You know what I've realized now? And this actually... I wouldn't say it helped me with that. This is why I like deadlines because yeah. I'm like, time only moves in one direction as far as we regular humans move through the world, only one direction. So if you put a deadline here, I will work on it to the best of my ability to make it as good as possible. But as soon as that deadline comes, I'm giving you what I have and I'm moving on. Because if, yeah. if it's an open-ended thing and there is no deadline, I yes. will keep turning myself in circles. I will never finish this mm -hmm. thing. It will never be good enough for me to finish. And when you say get something, I'm like, when do you need it by? Give me a date. I don't care if it's a false date. Put it in my head that this date is when you need to buy. And after yes. that day, when I give it to you, don't come back. We are done here. Same. It's not like, like, it's not the pressure of the deadline I enjoy. It's just saying, like, this is a hard cutoff. You can right. only do so much. And it's not because of you. It's because of the time. I can't I blame completely it on the time. get that out of my head. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I blame it on the time. I'm like, this is all the time that I have to work on it. Okay, if it's not good enough by the end of this time, don't. that's that's the best I can do for you. So go away. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I also do well with deadlines. Yeah, because there's projects at work that like I care about a lot more than my other work, and I'm actually like enjoy them and all of that. But they're always getting put off because every time I work on it, I'm like doing like tinkering the smallest things, and I like like a lot of them are writing projects, and it's like I want to write one thing, but I have to learn about everything in the world because I can't say something wrong about it, and so I end yeah. up like at least from the outside looking like I'm way better at other things that I care less about because I actually get them done. <laughs> Which is why I also, this is also fed into then my, my critique of other people. When I see people who are dancing on the fence about something and they don't quite, I, I'm like, I see, I see exactly what I do in what you're doing right now. So give yourself a fucking hard cut. Yeah. This time I will have X done. And it doesn't matter how well you have it done by that date. Whatever you have, use that and let that be it. Don't turn yourself in circles. Yeah. I don't yeah. like people who sit on the fence. That dilly-dally nonsense really upsets me. I don't like that at all. Yeah. This is part of the reason, though, that I was like, did not thrive at all in academia because, especially in a PhD program, because everything is a long-term project. Like, there's no idea, like, how long anything is going to take. Like, it's all self-designed, so, like, very few people were holding me to deadlines, and even if it were, it was like, we want to publish this paper by this date, and, like, everyone knows that means the paper's going to get published a year and a half after that, and it's just sort of <laughs> accepted. <laughs> it's just... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still socially anxious. 
I'm still shy. That uh, (laughs) (laughs) it has gotten better. It has gotten better, and and some of it too is just like it's not even like I need drugs like all of the time. And I'm talking like you know I have anti-anxiety medication or like alcohol or weed. Like there, I'm sort of considering all of that. But even regardless of all of those, now I'm better at it. But in order to get better at it, I had to get myself in a state where I could actually put myself in that situation, which is right. what it took drugs to do. Like, in order to get used to that situation, I had to get there in the first place. And where I started from, like, I couldn't get there in the first place. I was so anxious about it. Like, so, yeah, like, when I finally was able to, like, admit to myself that I needed, like, anti-anxiety medication, it made a world of difference because I could actually put myself out there now. And it still makes me anxious, but... Yeah, I had the tools to start working on it. I mean, I still, don't get me wrong, I still am so, (laughs) my husband is such an extrovert, and I, like, am an introvert, and just have, like, anxiety, and we'll be, we'll have, like, plans to go somewhere, and I'm so anxious, like, I'm so on edge, I feel awful, and he's like, aren't you looking forward to it? Like, these are your friends? Like, this is something you like doing? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I am. I am looking forward to it. I am going to have fun when I do it, but my brain is going <laughs> to is going to panic. <laughs> it's gonna, I'm going to have to drag it kicking and screaming into the Exactly. Situation. What did um I think the father of Bob's Burgers, he goes, "I will go to this thing, but just so you know, I'm going to complain all the way there." Yeah. <laughs> right. That's pretty much your brain. Your brain is like, uh, "Oh my god, we're going to do this thing. Are we fucking really going to do this thing right?" I feel the same way. Like I always which is why I like this is not, I guess I could call this codependency, but it's really not what this is because I, I don't like to be codependent. That's not me. I like to do things as efficiently as possible by myself. But if there's something I'm, say for instance, when I went to go get my ears pierced, right? My anxiety about actually doing it was so overwhelming. I kept checking it out of it. And I just, one time I just, I just called a, a friend that I'm sure you've met. Um, and I was like, hey, I need you to be moral support. I need to set a time and a date with you where I know it fits your schedule. So for me to show up and do it, I feel like I have an obligation to you because Mm -hmm. this is the time that I set with you and I don't want to let you down. So I have to show up at the time I gave you where you'll be waiting for me to get my ears pierced. I have to do all of that just so I can put all of that on someone else to be like okay well i don't want to do this thing but i already set the time with this person so i have to be there to get my own fucking ears pierced like most people will just go get their ears pierced and that'll be that on that but like i have to do all this yeah like right now i get really insecure about financial stability nobody especially people who are our age millennials or even gen z like the financial system in the u.s is so upside down right now that like all the wealth is concentrated in one direction. It doesn't look like it's moving anytime soon. So, right. and it's going to keep going in that direction, right? And we're all like, we are actively struggling mm-hmm. to do anything financially. And I'm like, if it gets worse, my parents aren't wealthy. They can't help me out. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who's going to help me out. And I can't move to a place where the cost of living is less such that I'll be able to have. I like there's there's very little I can do so now like every single day I think about okay this is how much money much money I have to make by 
X number of years. This is how much I, because I'm like, if I'm, if I assume that, you know, I'm going to follow the basic trajectory of trying to retire before I'm 60, I start to think about stuff like that. And it's very Mm -hmm. depressing. And then I'm insecure about, wow, I'm really not where I should be for this plan to work the way I want it to. Oh, but yeah, you said, you said money and I (laughs) hadn't even thought about that. Oh my God. A whole avenue I didn't explore in this document. (laughs) Oh my God. No, because I mean, it's funny because you mentioned being alone. And I definitely like when I was like financially alone in college, that was very insecure. Like I was like tens of thousands of dollars in debt, like every day it was deeper and deeper because of student loans. So I would like, I'd guilt myself over every dollar, like anything I spent felt like painful. And then after that, I went to grad school and I was living with my husband who, you know, grad school, you make like nothing. He was making literally like three times as much as me. And that made me very insecure because I was like, I feel like I, on the one hand, like I am relying on him because I don't want to like change his quality of life. But at Mm. the same time, like, I don't want to feel like I'm dependent on him. Like, what if something happens? I'll be by myself. What if I have to take on this payment by myself? What if I have to break a lease? What if I have to like do this and this and that like it wasn't like a breadwinner thing that i was insecure about making less than him it was a like even though i'm in this stable relationship where he can't afford to take care of some stuff for me like i never felt like i was secure it actually makes me insecure in dating what you just said because A, I don't want to date somebody who makes less money than me because I don't want them to feel that there's a power dynamic that that they're indebted to me for. So what have you done to work on overcoming some of your insecurities? I haven't. You haven't? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just more self-aware that I have them. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't be laughing at that. (laughs) It's sort of true, though. Um, yeah, like one of the things, like, I guess I consider this working on something. It's not even like overcoming my insecurities. It's just being honest about them. It's not even that bad on its own. It's just become such a habit because of trust issues as like my go-to if I'm going to be saying something uncomfortable or feel like I'm going to make someone else uncomfortable is just lie. Just lie. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, like, big, small, it's like, it wouldn't even be that big of a deal to tell the truth, but I'm just like. It'll make everyone happier if I just tell a white life. Like, just, like... Right. Like, that's the thing with dating I, I would have a lot of trouble with. Like, I'd be feeling depressed, and it's like, oh, no, I just have a stomach ache. Like, oh, no, I just have a headache. Like, it's like, I'm getting, like, closer and closer to this person, and it's like, I I really could just be honest. Like, even at the point where they know, they'll, like, know I have depression. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just a... It's just a headache. What do you mean, depression? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it became such a reflex to just lie about things instead of putting my discomfort on and my insecurities on someone else. Um, right. So like that's one thing I'm trying to work on is trying to just be open. I yeah things. I yeah <laughs> I try not to lie. I try not to lie. Like you have to go back and try to finagle your way to make the new truth match the old lie, and. That nonsense, I hate doing that. I'd want to be as consistent mm-hmm. as possible. I said it, that's what it is. So 
I either don't address it at all, or if I'm going to tell you the truth, it has to be so vague that I don't have to double back and like undercut the lie that I told. So for the most part, and especially now, I just make sure that I put myself in a situation where I just think about if I told the truth, what's the worst that'll happen? And then I just accept that. And then I'm like, because if, if I'm going to tell you the truth about how messed up I am and you're going to leave, you just need to leave. Just go ahead and yeah. go. Because... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gonna come out in the wash at some point right i mm -hmm. tried to do that but oh i just don't address it at all yeah what have i done to work on in overcoming insecurities uh therapy <laughs> and drugs therapy plus <laughs> plus drugs <laughs> drugs are therapy mama yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yes exactly exactly and i suppose on the same train mama drugs drugs <laughs> like Sometimes, like, my insecurity can, like, wind my brain and I can't go to sleep. I think mm -hmm. it's probably all tied together, like, my insomnia and all, because I don't sleep. I yeah. don't. People think I'm joking when I say I don't sleep. I'm like, I actually legit don't. So, and, like, and some people get, if I tell somebody that, somebody can get really worried. Like, oh, my God, you know you need sleep. You can die, right? I was like, yeah, what do you want me to do? Sleep? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like... Wow, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe I should've just exactly, slept. Exactly, like, exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so, I'm like, you're worrying, oh it can't help me, can't do anything for me, so just don't worry about it. Right, but, um, yeah, so what I do is, I'll just take melatonin. I, I don't like the fact, that I don't like how it makes me feel when I'm groggy and I have to get up and, like, get on the beat of whatever it is that I have to do. But I'm like, I need to be able to shut my brain up just so I don't wind myself into a corner of existential dread or existential crisis. So I will take that melatonin yes. and pass out. I have to. There's, I, I have to function. So this is what I need to do. So drugs are great. Yes. <laughs> I recommend drugs to everybody. If you need it, get some. But also, I also try to plan logical ways to address some insecurities, the ones that I can fix. I just, I'm look, I'm a very planner, planner, planner person. I would rather plan to circumvent this insecurity as best as I can, and that's that on that. And the ones that I cannot fix, I just tell myself, I don't have the resources to fix this yet. I'm deluding myself to think I can even fix it in the first place. Let's, not, let that, let's leave that there. But I'm like, I can't fix this yet. I don't have the resources to fix it, so I, I'm just going to leave this alone for now. Meanwhile, I remind myself, you know you have bigger fish to fry, right? You have other worries that are more pending, more in your face. Use your energy and resources to fix those first and then leave this. So that's kind of how I manage the insecurities. I'm like, you can't worry about this because you, you, have, you have bills to pay. So that's what I mean. Like I'll stack problems that I know I can solve that are more like relevant to my current state of being upfront. So that way I don't have the mind or space in my head to consider all these other insecurities. I just go ahead and do what I have to do today, right? And that's how I usually handle it. But I don't know if that's the healthiest way to deal with it, but it, it gets me through my day to day. So I yep. recommend it. <laughs> so basically I kick the can down the road is what I'm saying. Although I don't, <laughs> I recommend it if it works for you. But if you're one of the people that it just doesn't work for, find a better way to do things. I'll literally like talk to myself about like, like I'll be sitting there being like, oh, I'm so fat. Oh, I just kept trying to lose weight and I can't lose any weight. Like, okay. <laughs> shut the fuck up like okay you're fat like are you gonna like boohoo over like all of the actually good things in your life because you're sort of fat like could you not like, jesus christ <laughs> just throw yourself a pity party like that sounds like i'm just like mocking myself but it actually really works to like snap me yeah. out of things it's just to 
like snap myself out of that like self-pitying thing and be like okay what if like you're insecure about this thing it's probably not even true but if even if it is true like it's not a big right. deal like you're blowing it out of proportion fake it till you make it fake it till you make it is actually weirdly a good it's strategy very, yeah it's very like, effective yeah it actually it actually works like you actually eventually start making it <laughs> yeah but the thing is even when you are making it because of the imposter syndrome you kind of yeah. don't feel like you're making it but yes. the only reason why you know you're making it is if you just compare chronologically where you are currently to where you were maybe some five years ago you're like oh no this yes. is a step up like when someone i care about has a similar insecurity and i feel responsible for helping them with that, mm. like I was very insecure about being bipolar and like would not tell anyone about it. And then I learned that my sister was and I didn't want to, I didn't like the thought of her not feeling like she could be open about it made me feel like I had a responsibility to be more open about it. If that, I don't know if that makes sense, but like it, it once it like became not just about me, that kind of thing helps me sort of. So that's a that's a good segue to how do you deal with other people's insecurities? I don't. I really don't. And this is the thing, right? But only because of the way it's it's kind of similar to my own. Like, I I try to be as what's the golden rule? Treat others the way you want to be treated. And mm -hmm. the platinum rule is like treat others the way they deserve to be treated. I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Where I'm like, what you want from me is not necessarily what I think you need right now. So say, for instance, somebody who's insecure about something, and I'm notorious for doing this, by the way, because I expect everyone to take my approach. And this is the way I treat myself. I'm like, whatever this thing is that you're insecure about, look at your more important issues, the one that is, that's going to smack you in the face right now. So say, for instance, if I'm worried about the fact that, oh, I'm losing hair on my head. Okay, do you have... $25,000 to get a hair transplant? No. Do you have bills to pay tomorrow? Yes. Motherfucker, <laughs> pay them bills. Pay them bills. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So people who are insecure, I, I don't know how to sit there and walk you through your insecurity. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This, like, I was almost like a smack in the face. Like, you need to look at your priorities of what you need. Because I'm like, you need to just, maybe one day you'll get to the point where you can fix the acne but you have more pressing issues. You have to be able to survive until tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after until you get to the point where you can then fix the acne. And I need you to mm -hmm. just be very practical into the things that you can put your resources and energy into that'll get you to survive one more day. Which is why when somebody comes in with some insecurity, I'm like, you shut the fuck up because you can't <laughs> fix that insecurity right now. Why are you putting energy and time to this? You can't fix it. However, I look at the person's life and the person's life is completely chaotic. They they don't have a budget sheet. They don't have um, a savings account. They don't have uh, basic things. I'm like, you need to fix all those shit first and then worry about the fact that you want to, you know, get a eye lift surgery because you feel like you have wrinkles. <laughs> you know what i mean like there's yeah. just if your life is in complete chaos or you can do something to make your life better like to make literally your tomorrow your more important yeah i'm like fix those first so for the most part i don't deal with people's insecurities if somebody comes with me with something that i think i just start offering them here's something you should fix in the meantime while you're still working because you can't <laughs> fix that right now so let me just but the thing is because of that i suppose this is why i try to stop myself from doing that because people will hate me even more 
<laughs> because for the most part, if they're coming with me to vent about something or to just share their insecurities with me, I kind of want to just shock them back into thinking of what's actually important. So they drop this thing that I think is probably frivolous. And then they hate me because I seem insensitive to that insecurity. I'm like, <laughs> I don't mean to be insensitive. I'm just pointing out all the shit you should actually be paying attention to. So you can actually stop worrying about this stupid, what I think is a stupid insecurity. But obviously yeah. it's not stupid. But this is exactly how I operate, right? And I expect them to operate the same way. And when they mm. don't, it actually really irritates me. I'm like, so you're really going to yeah. take the time, energy, and effort to focus on this thing that really doesn't matter right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what I mean. But I, I wish people the best. I'm just not the kind, cuddly person that you're going to come with your insecurities. But if but this is the thing. If you do understand that you... If you come with me with a very practical problem that I can offer you a tangible solution for, I'm the person you should come to. Because I will try my best to walk you through a really tangible solution. But if you come and you want this, hold my hand, kumbaya, let's burn some incense and do the whole tribal dance nonsense get the fuck out that's not me how do you deal with other people's insecurities yeah i didn't know how to phrase it until you said it but i i think i deal with them a lot in a lot of the same way that i deal with my own and then i do i actually have i have some patience i have some capacity to do the kumbaya incense nonsense (laughs) i do (laughs) not my black ass To a point, I can do that. Try to be understanding. Like, I have insecurities. Other people have insecurities. But I've also put so much work into trying to address mine. Like, not that I'm there. I'm still insecure about all kinds of things. But, like, I'm aware of them. I'm aware of the problems they cause. And I'm, like, trying to fix them. So when somebody has an insecurity and they come to me, I'm fine. Like, okay, like, let me just commiserate with you. Let me comfort you. But if that's happening over and over and over again, and they're just, they're not bothering to work on it. They're not, like, having me comfort you forever and ever is not an actual strategy. That's avoiding it and putting it on me. (laughs) Right. And then I lose patience. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Like, I just, I have a limited capacity of, of pity if you're not, like, if you're actively working on it and need support through it, like, that's one thing. But some people will just, like, are perfectly happy to just, like, complain about it and and never change anything and that irritates me but for the most part if people need you to deal with their insecurities that's pretty much what they're looking for i'm a very impatient i don't think anybody's ever met me and they've been shocked to find that i'm impatient (laughs) i am extremely impatient and i literally this is i move through every in my personal life i move through things lightning fast i i need to be on the other side of things as fast as possible i cannot stress that enough and if i find somebody who is going to then slow me down i don't have any patience for it usually those people they do that to everybody else around them so they actually have a support system of people who can coddle them and they want to add me to that yes excuse me meanwhile i'm out here in the world pretty much on my own juggling a billion things and you want to come over here with your in, in like compared to what I'm currently <laughs> dealing with, it doesn't even yeah. hold a drop to the ocean that I'm currently waddling through. And you want me to commiserate with you over that? Get the fuck out. Get the yeah. all the way the fuck out. I can't. So that concludes our episode about insecurities for now. For now, <laughs> yeah, because our insecurity never comes up on other episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this journey. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Big Empty Purse. 
tweet us, message us, tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future, especially if it's more of our trauma. <laughs> We're always here for that. <laughs> <laughs> On next week's episode, we'll be talking about it's actually to be determined, but you should show up next week. We'll be here and we'll let you know then. Until next time, peace. Peace.